0: Hello, listeners and viewers, welcome to our Feelin' Film miniseries where we discuss each new weekly episode of The Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power. We are the two errands and we are excited to be here for yet another episode what is this number five i believe is that right
1: yep five
0: number five and out of eight
1: i want to say eight yeah
0: yeah so we are over the halfway point at this mark and we are headed towards the end of the season wow it's gone fast i guess that happens when you drop a couple of episodes in the beginning
1: yeah well i mean they, they so i what i've noticed that um prime but as well as a couple of other streamers is that when they are dropping a couple episodes in the beginning it's usually like three and then it's a one 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 release but uh for rings of power they did two and then a single episode so we really only lost a week out of it we didn't we weren't like a third of the way through the through the season or anything like that we literally only lost one extra one extra week of an episode
0: that's true i guess it just feels like it's going faster than i expected i don't know maybe time is just moving fast I mean, in general
1: for me Time is a circle at this point with the pandemic, but like it's I mean, everybody like literally throughout the pandemic, Lovato. I've been like I don't even know how old I am. I don't know I what know, day it yeah. is. Am I outside? I don't know.
0: <laughs> One thing I do like that I noted here was this episode is. I mean, the runtime is about seventy something minutes, seventy mm-hmm. seventy five minutes. That obviously factors in your credits and a preview of the next week's episode. But in general, these are running a full strong hour of content yeah. per episode and i really it's not like, like
1: that. a 40 minute episode yeah each episode and it's relatively full and i mean even the like previously on is only a couple of minutes so you're not really losing mm-hmm. like a 10 like it's not like a 10 minute you know credit not scene marvel or like that yeah exactly <laughs> so it's like each of these is is relatively meaty in like what you're getting which is great
0: yeah definitely well at the risk of saving some time for this morning because i'm (laughs) heading out to a football game uh i'm gonna skip like an initial reactions to this episode section and we're gonna just jump right in we have pretty much every location minus casa doom to talk about and some big events to go over so let's start with numenor where most of our episode took place and we have Crew gearing up for the journey essentially is what most of this episode felt like was going on. was more internal politics. At the end of episode four, Muriel made the decision to support Galadriel and provide humans to that. Sounds terrible, but and the, the humans were going to join Galadriel. Let's say that a little better New,
1: Numenorians. <laughs> Numenorians. Go, yeah, I was like, yeah. maybe just not just all humans, but Numenorians yeah. specifically. <laughs>
0: Yeah, not Halbrand. He was not on board yet. He was but like, hard the, pass. <laughs> the Numenorians were going to join Galadriel, travel to Middle-earth, and help her to continue her fight against Sauron and the growing darkness. We kind of kicked it off. It was Isildur, who was, he volunteered at the end of the last episode with his friends. We talked about that. And it, here it seems like, That didn't go so well. Like dad was not on board with that plan. And I really liked this scene, actually. I thought it was neat to see this familial dynamic where he doesn't just get the victory that he wants out of this whole situation, because it did kind of end like that, where if he got on the boats and you even said you were talking about how it was a little bit unfair to his friends, like now his friends are volunteering to go do this thing. But that's only because they, they have no other option and Isildur is essentially getting his way. And I like that we dealt with that in this episode where he doesn't really I and mean, he does get to go, which he has to go. That's how <laughs> that's how the history works. But I like that it wasn't simple and he's not going as in any manner of like, I don't know, honor. He He's kind of a tag along for the yeah. most part.
1: And I feel like, um, I, yeah, I know. And we talked about it with a previous episode is like, there's a lot of privilege with his position and he like fakes it in the earlier episodes where he's like, I've earned, you know, all of these things as much as you have, Blah blah. blah," like, regardless of who my dad is. And then this episode, he was literally like, just choose me. Like it was very big pick me girl energy. (laughs) And, um, like to watch his dad be like, absolutely not. Like, why Why would I pick you knowing that, like, not only did you not get through on the Sea Guard, I was just like, but, like, you didn't get through because your your crew couldn't depend on you. Like, why would I put you on this ship and potentially endanger the lives of everybody else that's going? Um. So I actually really liked that his dad was, like, a captain first and then a father second, like regardless of whether or not he had ulterior motives of like, I don't want my son going on this like really dangerous quest that like could very easily kill him. Um, Like regardless of that, like he approached it, I think, in a really like responsible manner to be like, even if I have ulterior motives, I do also have like pure justification for why I'm like, absolutely not. It was very uh, temper tantrum y, though, from an Isildur perspective.
0: Oh, yeah, he's not. So, like, (laughs) I.
1: (laughs) That same energy
0: that's bothered you is just continuing. Yeah. And
1: that, and I, and, but what I find so interesting is like, and, and I know I've said it before, but like, we already know, obviously, how his story ends. And it ends in a temper tantrum. And so Basically. it's really interesting that like, no matter what, like we're seeing a younger version of somebody who's never been forced to reckon with the real fallout of his actions. Mm-hmm. And since we already know how the story ends, we're getting all those pieces where we're literally like, oh. Mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Um, Elrond was right. Yeah. Okay. Probably. Yeah. Mm-hmm, I think mm-hmm. I think
0: it's going to be nice though. I mean, I just, I'm really excited to have that feeling at the very end when I look back and because right now all we have of Isildur from the cinematic universe as we've mentioned before is we have one very evil smirk of him being like no I'm not throwing the ring in the fire right and that's that's it that's like literally all we get of his character you can read a million things into that one facial expression but now once we get to that scene or like think about when we rewatch the Lord of the Rings five six years from now when we see that we're gonna have spent 50 yeah. episodes with Isildur going on this incredible journey of you know loss and struggle and like you said dealing with his privilege he's gonna have victories he's gonna become a hero at some point like we're gonna see he's probably gonna lose some friends I would almost guarantee like oh, we're yeah. gonna see all these things happen and I think it's just going to make like a moment like that so much more impactful. But yeah, he's he's definitely not someone you immediately get behind uh, right away. He's not like an Aragorn who when you meet him, you're yeah. like, I'm on board. You're the I will follow you like from day Regardless. one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's a little bit of a different journey.
1: Well, and and again, I feel like this whole thing is going to like, I don't know whether or not it's going to feel more impactful to me because it's so rare that we have stories where we already know the ending. And so it's like, even if we go on, you know, a 45 episode, you know, arc with this character, or however many he's actually in, like, we already know how it's going to end. So I'm, I'm very curious to see whether or not that taints my approach to his character. And like, whether or not I feel that there's already distance there. Um, because as much as I like, Joe, like, we know his ending, I don't like his character now, but that has nothing to do with how it ends. It has more to do with like, you're just seeing the byproduct of how it ends. You're seeing that, you know, that privilege, that temper tantrum attitude that, you know, I don't know if it's because he doesn't have a mother or his mother's gone. Ha- we, like, we still have a lot of unanswered questions from him. So, like, to me, that's where the intrigue of his character actually comes in. Like, I am interested in knowing who the creepy whisper voice in the mountains is. I'm interested in knowing what the heck happened to his mother and his brother that, like, nobody ever wants to talk about super interested with how they're going to play with his sister because that was something that came up in this episode and I know we'll get to that but like it's it's very like in my opinion everybody but Isildur and his family is interesting to me like because and I don't and I can't like I can't quantify or qualify that but literally like everybody else is interesting I just I don't I don't feel a kinship to Isildur's character and I'm hoping that they pull that back like I'm hoping that they literally pull the veil back on that and you, you better understand why he is the way that he is besides just plain privilege um but like his sister again has privilege but she had to earn her right into that guild like she it's not something where you know women are just actively exactly like given that 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 role um but you see her utilizing that privilege in a completely different capacity and so it's it it isn't the way that i thought it was going to be based off of how she treated isildur in the earlier episodes and telling him what she thinks he should do i didn't think that she was going to take the path that she took in this episode
0: yeah, I agree. And, and I I think that Isildur is a tough character. Yeah I, yeah, I mean, it boils down to just it's a slow, slow journey of him before he gets to do anything that shows growth. And it's the show just it spends so much time in Numenor that unfortunately we're rehashing these traits over and over. Yeah. It feels like for him. I do love, though, just that idea and that opening scene with him and his dad where. I've never had to deal with this, but I've always thought of it being a struggle for parents who had their kids work for them because yeah. you're, you're walking that line of
1: you're a boss, I'm but serving
0: a the kingdom in this role. I have this job and I have to do this job correctly. Like I can't allow you as an employee to have special treatment. Yeah, And, and it kind of like comes to a head there at the end. Obviously we have those storylines converge where Ferrazone and he's continuing his like pro Numenorian and I'm I mean, I'm really calling him anti-elf at this point, I'm sorry, but like he is definitely a little bit
1: He showcased it more in this episode, one hundred percent. My statements were based off of the yeah, previous I know. episode. Oh, I know. not based I know, I know. on this one. Yeah. I was like, so yeah. like he was one hundred like his line about like they'll be taking orders from us. I'm like, dude, in what world I know. are you living in where you okay. You know, your, <laughs> You're, your beard in, is sharp, an sharp and all, but it's not like it's live. not a weapon. <laughs>
0: Yeah, well he he definitely showcases that he doesn't just want to coexist and be left alone as Numenorians. Like he actually has a desire to He's be in a agenda. higher place right yeah. than the elves. And Kimmen, his son, is clearly influenced by that to the point where trying to impress daddy, I feel like he ends up trying to sabotage the boats. So that- I do you
1: think that it's do you think that it's one of those things where like his dad was aware like I'm like based off of the reactions to the boat happening like his dad is not surprised by any means his dad like I don't know whether or not he told his son about this or like told his son that he would like look the other way or whatever But like there's no you don't see a scene where he's like chastising his son which I kind of wanted like. I already have a plan in place and your, you know, obstinate behavior is ruining that. Or like something along those lines that tells me that like what Kemen did messed up with Farazan's plan or it played into his plan. Like I wanted, I wanted some closure to that circle in the episode that I didn't That's get. That's a good point. Um, but like it's very interesting to see that like Seal threw through a temper tantrum, get on board. Kem was like, you know what sounds like a great idea? Blowing some stuff up. Goes He's a terrorist. There. Yeah, 100%. He's literally a terrorist. Yeah. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Let's make it cherry. And Isildur's like, um, well, I guess I'll just like drag you back to safety. It's fine, whatever. But like also you're stowing away and you're under a blanket, but you couldn't hear a bunch of splashing liquid happening literally like right next to you. Yeah. And then, like, it, like I've I've always hated those scenes where it's, like, somebody's, like, hiding away and then all of a sudden they're like, chew Or, like, <clears throat> and then it's like, okay, you just, like, what's the whole point of stowing away if you're going to all of a sudden have a cough? Like, it's one of those things where, and then, like, it happens. Nobody tried to stop the fire after they dropped the lantern. Nobody, like, you had a big blanket. You could have easily just snuffed out the fire.
0: True. Yep. Agreed.
1: But they're like, oh, no, it's too close to the oil. We should probably just run. And it's like. You could have just stopped it. Like
0: it's very possible, yeah. I mean, I, I, I do give them a little bit of grace just because I don't know what I would do in a chaotic situation. Sure. I might I might think of my life first too, over the boat, but I, I like how it played out and I and I agree, it's not a hundred percent certain Kimmen's motivations for it. I read it as due to the way that Ferrazon was expressing this very clear, like, I want a new king of Numenor to to raise up. I felt like he was trying to further his father's agenda, essentially. And be- See, and I
1: felt it was he thought his father wasn't moving fast enough. And, like, based off of the wow, emer- yeah, emergent, like, uh, response from Aerion, um, like, Kevin was like, I have to do something to impress her and show her that I'm serious about, like, trying to stop this from happening. So I felt nice. it was more like he was also, like, same to Asildur, like, in- impatient, like, Petuous just was like no like you know what your whatever your plan is it's going too slow like how can you send all of these Numenoreans to die and still say that you're pro Numenorean and so like I took it in a completely different direction I took it Ooh, as you know I like, like it. yeah I don't like this is not act like you're what you're telling me that you want to do and what you're showing me are not matching up so I'm gonna do what you say that you that you actually want regardless of like what your plan is
0: so that's well that's cool I like that and I and in, that gives us reason to be intrigued as we further on to because I'm sure we'll find out
1: right yeah um, well and like both of them were doing things they weren't supposed to so like Isildur covered for him and then he covered for Isildur and it's also like
0: I like that it? I like I like the continued intertwining of these families like we talked about how Kimin and
1: Aarion mm-hmm.
0: um, thank you <laughs> I was I was trying Fancy to pull Lord it out of the, Ring of of the brain <laughs> yeah of Aarion Aarion and how they had kind of started this little flirtatious relationship. Now he has a relationship with sildor and these two families are definitely going to play into things. There's going to be some dynamics. I mean, I'm sure Farazan and, um, boy, this is not a great episode for me and names, Alindel are going to eventually have to go
1: head com- to head. You know, he- yeah, go head to head
0: because they're on different sides of this as well. Um, I like, though, that sildor in the end gets a little bit of a stinger from dad. When they're on the ships, they're starting mm-hmm. to sail off. By the way, the armor. What did you think of the armor? Gorgeous. Amazing, right? Gorgeous. Like white. Like,
1: beautiful. It was like it was like a white steel. Like you could oh. still, because you could still see that gray underneath it. But it was such a rich color that like, oh, it was like, there were so many visuals in this episode. Like we'll get to other visuals like later yeah. on. But like this episode, I was literally like this is money like this is where they threw their money and i'm 100 here for it like that last shot of the boats going like through the oh god it's just it was gorgeous all the armor everything was fantastic and beautifully done in this um the only thing that i had a problem with is like almost all of their shots when they're on the boats has this weird like orange sunsetty filter to them where it's like almost and it's like it's been in previous episodes too where like it has this like almost overly filtered look to it but aside from that every other shot absolutely stunning armor gorgeous yeah
0: i thought so too and i thought it was cool that we see the armor with the big plumes yes. which is eventually the same style of armor that we see in rohan mm-hmm. down the road which obviously these are descendants or not descendants, Ascendant? pre descendants. what's the word for that precursors i don't know what's the word for what's an opposite of a descendant The person, people that came before, we'll Google. (laughs) It's whatever the people are that came before the other people. Uh, So, like, I think it's them, (laughs) the ancestors. That's the right word, I think. The ancestors, maybe, of Rohan. So that's kind of why we eventually see some of these.
1: It is ancestors, but I kind of like ascendants better.
0: (laughs) I do too. I do too. We see that in Gondor and Rohat. Anyway, I thought that was cool. And I love that he's like, oh, you thought you were here to do like a soldier's job. Here, go sweep horse poop because <laughs> that's your new duty.
1: <laughs> I find like a lot of I I find a strange comfort to Elendil. Um, like there's something about his voice and his energy. It's it's like if Aragorn had followed the path that he was originally supposed to. That's what I feel like he would have turned into is this like this peacemaker this middleman, this person that that sees things from every angle very respectful very refined like there's just something very calming every time he's on like on screen even when he's being you know like rude to his kids or whatever there's like something really calming about his energy and like watching him make that joke at the very end i thought was like like you're just getting a very clear picture of who he is as as a person as a parent as like a member of this guard like it's been really great to watch and like you're getting some of these softer moments from Hallbrand as well during this episode and like that scene like you get to see the fact that he is finally like forging things again which obviously is like a big passion of his which is amazing like not only has the queen decided that like she's going to help you know Galadriel but like all of a sudden now Hallbrand's also not in jail Um, and not only that like she's gifted him a guild pin or whatever a guild crest or whatever they're calling them so I thought that was really interesting that they kind of just like glossed over that that they didn't really like be like okay like we're gonna forgive you for like beating the crap out of these people and you know but we're also going to reward you because here's this. Um, So they didn't really like go into that at all. But Hallbrand's like making metal and making armor and swords and weapons. And then we have that amazing scene where he's like watching them fight. And that was like, in my opinion, that was one of the best scenes in this whole show. Because not only did you get to see a little bit of the arrogance of Galadriel, but you got to see her having some fun and not having fun in a cheesy horse riding scene that I still hate, but like having fun in a way that brings her comfort in a way that is like this is an area of her skill but it's her skill that she wants to help with like she's trying to be like you need to be aware of what you're up against like this is not just your average you know mortal man that you're going to be fighting like you have like this these are higher beings that you need to be prepared for and you see that she's still having fun despite obviously the stakes are significantly elevated and Hallbrand's just watching like He's like, I know, like you can you can see that he's at war with himself. Like he's enjoying watching her. And then he get he's a like, he hates that he's enjoying this training. So like that whole scene, there are so many pieces of it that are moving beyond the actual movement of the scene that was really well shot and really interesting to watch.
0: Yeah, I agree. I loved it. I thought it was fantastic. And seeing the, the three friends be involved in that, one of them specifically, uh, who ends up challenging her and getting in a little bit of a cut on her arm so that he ends up getting the title of lieutenant and now has a new purpose right in life and I thought that was really cool and then getting to see Haldar like flip around the sword there at the end that was just like a
1: hmm, hmm. you mean Hallbrand?
0: Uh, Yeah, sorry, and Halbrand at the end, and Galadriel's like, oh, so, uh, as I was saying, (laughs) more than a blacksmith. (laughs) Never seen a blacksmith do that before. Yeah, so I thought that was, uh, yeah, I I absolutely loved it. She, She just looks like, like you said, you described it perfectly. She's had so much joy while she's going through this, and it's not in an antagonistic way. It's in, I think, more of an inspirational way. It's in a like purposeful she wa- way. Yeah, she wants them to understand. Like, she's she's coming into this as an equal, and and as someone who I mean, she 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 knows she's more than an equal, but she's coming into this as someone who is going to be fighting with them. She's not yeah. just asking them to go do a thing. She is more than capable of leading them into battle, and that's what you do, right? You lead by example. You prove it, and now everybody has been able to see that. So I thought that was a big moment as well. And then the Halbrand, I think this is a good transition because there was a a really brief but interesting moment that spoke to some of that softer stuff that you talked about where he is expressing, it's really quick, but he mentions that he's not proud of what they had to do to survive in the Southlands in order to get, get him out, right? He was talking to Galadriel, and they juxtapose this scene with, the refugees from the human human camp who are at that moment going to submit to ADAR and and give themselves up. And it just, it was a really great way I think of expressing like, this is what Halbram went through. Like he has been part of human camps and human um, civilization who struggled with making the decision of do we fight or do we give up? And clearly he's been involved with people who did submit in order to stay alive at one point. And I think that that is a great little bit of foreshadowing uh, to further on his character development for what's eventually going to happen with him. And uh, there's also a great line, that a little callback, I don't know if I forgot about this, but one of the earlier episodes where one of the people in the humans groups, uh, the Southlands human groups, actually mentioned something about like, our king is coming back, our king will return. Which is everything. All the signs that we're hearing are, of course, pointing toward that being Halbrand and Adar. So he, we get Adar more of Adar in this, and and some interesting dialogue when he's introduced. He talks about uh, the warmth of the world is soon to be gone, and he's kind of like lamenting this. He he kind of is remembering his time. I guess as a non-corrupt elf, and how he once felt that warmth and you know reveled in it, but it's on its way out, and it all like leads to this very ominous moment where he tells his orcs he's he's actually like bonding. He's checking the the wound of his main orc buddy, lieutenant, whatever you want to call him, and you know he says summon the legions. It's time, and then off they go right to. Uh, essentially i guess get the humans um out of the watchtower and that puts them in that position of having to make the decision where bronwen says we should fight and our barkeep waldrig now i know he has actually a name i figured this out he wants to survive and so he recommends bowing down to adar and so we get this whole like scene of him convincing people theo is questioning whether or not he should be a part of this and we see them go and submit so first of all like what did you think about the whole like submittal part of waldreg including one of theo's friends is is part of the group he convinces some of this encampment to basically go and um sacrifice not sacrifice themselves but
1: to lay down themselves yeah
0: exactly to give up
1: i had a lot of thoughts honestly um but like you skipped over something that i thought was really interesting um the moment where uh well i guess it's not no we haven't skipped over it yet we'll, well i'm sure we'll go to it but i found it really interesting that like we like it doesn't surprise me at all because wall we already knew from the end of the last episode it was gonna be like um no i'm not about like i'm not gonna fight like it's fine like i he was it was very much of like a i already know this dude I've been waiting for him, so I'm going to go. So it wasn't surprising at all. And there there are always those moments in human conflict in any show or any book where, like, somebody is like, no, I want the easy way. I don't want to die. I'm afraid. Um. So, like, this whole moment of, like, a bunch of them leaving is not shocking to me at all. I am surprised that Theo, Theo, like, they show him questioning it, but he really doesn't. Like, he's, like, he kind of stands there. And, like, the questioning that happens is he literally just, like, he's like, Do I want to go? No. Okay, cool. Like, that's it. Like, I thought they were gonna, I thought he was gonna, like, start to, like, hobble toward it, and then his mother was gonna be like, Theo, or like, something, you know, like, there almost didn't really seem like there was any desire for Theo to go, like, and part of that is, I think, smart, because, like, Theo's like, I've already seen what these, these things are gonna do. I've already seen what's left of our village and our home like i like why would i voluntarily follow that you know like he used the sword in a moment of need because literally he was about to die so to me like that makes more sense than him being like this person that's like oh no i want to follow adar like i want to go like they're they're where it's at like he saw the damage that they wrought and that he was gonna die so like it doesn't surprise me at all that he's like no i'm not gonna go it's cool it The amount of people that left, also not surprising. Again, they're trying to juxtapose the differences. Like, there will always be more people that are willing to take the easy way than the hard way to fight. Um, And so, like, the whole scene was really well done. I thought that it it didn't feel rushed. Um, I don't know if I feel like Bronwyn gave a very believable, like, you know what I mean? Like, I wanted more oomph behind what she was giving. Um, And then I, like, there was the moment later where she's like, oh, well, maybe I should have just gone, like. Uh, well yeah gave Those him my best shucks. shot like yeah <laughs> like so there they're, there's just this uh they're doing some interesting stuff with her character that i'm just i'm still not like fully convinced or fully on board with um they're almost kind of trying to make her like a like a warrior for her people but it's like i like that they're giving her that question because i do feel like a lot of times in fantasy you have people that are like no this is the right way i'm going period like this is the way that we're doing it and that's part of why i love that scene in the two towers where legolas is literally like you're going to die like wh- like you you're just running headfirst into a wall and you're not even stopping to question it and a- aragorn's like no i'm going to die as one of them like i love that you that you see moments like that so i do feel like her having that questioning moment of like um oh, maybe this wasn't the best decision um i think is a smart play i just don't know what they're going to do with her character and that's that's the big question mark for me right now
0: i feel like this was very much like a Two Towers moment, uh, a very callback to Helms Deep, and I feel like this, in addition to some of the other decisions they made with Bronwyn so far, they're kind of trying to put some Aowen into her, that strong female character that is kind of resilient and determined and wants to lead and wants to fight, but then. She's also got a little bit of Arwen in her with like this romance side. And so it's an it's an interesting mixture of some characters we've seen before. And I I don't I've not fully given myself over to her like I'm not in love with her character yet. I'm a little less so now that I know she's not an elf.
1: They moved your headband. Okay, can we just talk about how, like, it was one? So... It's like the first shot of her that you have, so I you know have it. like her and first shot. They didn't shot, even make a big deal and, about it, and it's like it's just one ear too. Also, like you notice, like it was not, it was not both ears. It was just one ear, one headband, and it tucked. And I was like zooming in. I was like, these bars As well, after all I, of this, I was like, okay, I'm not gonna text Aaron. I was like, but just know, I'm mad. I am I was so mad upset. after everything they put us through. So yeah, especially now that we know that she's not hat elf or like not some, you know, person in disguise or whatever. Really mad about it. I'm going to write a strongly worded letter. Um, <laughs> but like, I'm all like, again, yeah, I wanted their to their needs. I don't know, maybe it's like, it's just our human conditioning. Like we want more. We want something that's behind the veil of this. And I think that that partially goes toward our desire as people to be like, you can't just be inherently good. Like you have to have something that's hidden about you mm-hmm. that like we don't know about that that makes you like confident enough to say, no, let's stand and fight. And you know, all of us were like, well, it's because she's half elf. Like she has skill sets that other people don't know about yet. And now that we know that she's literally apparently just a human. And I say, th- I don't say that in, like in a mean way, but like there- there's not like another layer to who she is. I'm also like, so you're just dumb. I don't know how yeah. I feel about her. I still I'm still it's, upset that she just ran after Theo in the last episode. So it,
0: it's a really intriguing <clears throat> difference when you compare it to Helm's Deep because you just said it. They have legolas. They had Aragorn, they had Gimli, like there are warriors leading also leading troops and men like yes, they had the kids fighting. But they also had people available to at least attempt to fight and hold them off you know they they knew it was a long shot
1: they knew they didn't but, have the
0: numbers but this but is they, a human this is like a little village this is not anywhere like
1: there is and Helmseep was like a fortress exactly so it was like to they Waldring's, had other things against yeah. them
0: to Waldrig's point like i know he we know his motivations are different already but there is something to be said and maybe to halbron's point of what he has witnessed like you aren't gonna win you're gonna die. Like they were, yeah. I mean, all they have is a Ron Deer, uh, Aaron Deer. Sorry. Listen to last week's episode if you need backstory.
1: Also, I realized also why it sounds funny to me. It sounds like you're saying like a John Deere tractor.
0: Oh my gosh! No, I don't want to envision that. But
1: they do have him.
0: But like, he's yeah, sure. he's he's definitely not enough to to single handedly.
1: No, because he could he barely got away from all the orcs that were chasing Theo, and he's just yes. one person. So it's like but there's only so much that you can do.
0: Theo. It's a budding archer. What did you think about that scene of bonding between these two?
1: Interesting, Because I'm like, he's not your father. Like we've already established not half elf. Theo and his hideous bowl cut haircut literally serves no point now. Uh, Like that is what's mad. Like I'm so upset about it because I'm literally like, if she's not half elf or something, then why would you give Theo that hideous haircut covering his ears? There is no reason why a kid in Middle Earth would want that haircut ever period especially because the other corrupt teenage youth kid has a great haircut and Theo's over here like hey guys what's up my mom cut my hair under a bowl it's but like bad. this uh this shot by shot section with him with Theo is i think really important it definitely felt like a semi forced father son bonding moment but i liked what arondier had to say about like why they fight and about like i mean Obviously, he's seen some stuff that Theo hasn't. But then you have this moment where Theo's like, I've seen some stuff that you don't realize. And I thought that that was really great because I do think that in a lot of fantasy situations, we really undermine children and what we, I mean, not even just fantasy, just in life in general. And like what they have or have not experienced based off of what we believe they haven't or based off of our personal experiences. So this moment where Theo feels a kinship enough to be like, hey, I effed up. Here's here's what I know and here's why Waldrig did this, or et cetera, et cetera. And then you have the like he gives him the sword handle. And then you have okay, I have to and I have to know how you felt about the pulling of the vines and what it revealed. Because to me, I was like, I don't know if this is gonna be a good thing or a bad thing now, but like I now I know where they are. But I'm also like, is this gonna be something where this is gonna work in your favor or against you? Cause like they all have they they seem to have a light bulb moment at the very end of it. But you don't know what that light bulb is. So, like, I- I'm interested to see how you felt about it.
0: I did not know exactly what we were trying to get across. And so I felt like it was a rec- just into, I've- I believed it was just more of like a recognition by Arandir of this is what this hilt is and what it represents. And clearly, it is calling back to this great evil. And so he I think he kind of understands in that moment what is happening. And that's how I felt about I I didn't I honestly didn't get a big aha moment. I thought it looked cool. I thought it was interesting, Um, but I expected it was more of a hey, we're going to dive into this and kind of explain things a little bit further as we go. But my big takeaway was simply that he now understood the threat and what the threat was and that for the first time he was like oh I get it Sauron.
1: Morgoth. I do okay so I guess then maybe maybe I misunderstood what the aha moment was maybe, because yeah. when they maybe pulled the vines back and they showed the statue holding the hilt I thought they were at the same place that Frodo and the gang rests when they're attacked by the Nazgul for the first time when they're the like top? cooking is That's that what it top. is? Yeah. Because I, I I remember very distinctively the same statues that were that were yeah. like in the in the mountainside. So I thought that was the aha moment is that like that was the same I don't, location. Maybe. I don't know, maybe. I yeah, like so. I just I thought that was my ha- aha moment, but maybe I gave myself an aha.
0: Maybe. I mean, I I mean, I think the understanding is like the statues are reminiscent of showing these people from before that then you're making the association with the hilt as to where it came from and what it represents I, i'm not sure honestly it was like the one thing that i didn't really have a lot of understanding about so i didn't dive into it and look for research so.
1: yeah now i'm like okay now one. i gotta, gotta find out
0: <laughs> yeah maybe Well, we get to be shocked by it i liked the relationship building between the two of them i thought it was nice uh, to get to see i don't like angsty annoying teenagers in anything and so i'll be perfectly fine if Theo quickly gets past that stage and gets a haircut and he can be an interesting character finally, <laughs> so, yeah, uh, I did think it was kind of a terrible haircut that uh, Waldreg presumably had to kill his friend Rowan. Um, I thought that was you know very indicative of the kind of evil that we expect to see from AdAR and so it was important for him to establish. Some of that ruthlessness. Okay, but
1: did you not feel like it went from a zero to 100? Like, I feel oh, like it was oh, like, okay, yes. Waldreg, like, stop talking. Like, you can clearly see that he's, like, not about the worship that you're heaping onto him. Which I thought was a very interesting reaction. As was like, he wants these people to bow down to him. But when Waldreg is like, I've been waiting for you. Like, tell us what you want. Like, we'll do whatever you want. He was like, I hate, like, like I don't know. I felt like he literally went from zero to 100, like, his reaction to this. It It, it felt super jarring and i i definitely agree that like the action he was asking from waldred made sense but i did i just felt like his reaction to it was very interesting is he was super chill when everybody was just like bowing down to him and he's like all right cool and then as he's leaving Waldred is like we've been waiting for you like tell us what you want and he was like okay kill this child like it just felt like it went from like literally nothing to everything and i don't understand like why they would you know punch it up like that
0: yeah i don't know i think it I don't know. I mean, I we needed to see Waldrig fully commit to his evil. I think there's an idea there of there's a lot of people who find the other side, whatever the other side of an issue the quote, you know, rebel side appealing from afar. But when you get up and close with what that evil actually is and represents and what it is going to cost you, there is a difference to that. And that's where I for whatever reason i agree it kind of it does happen a little bit suddenly but i do appreciate the scene in general because of the fact that it shows you know it's not simple you're gonna have to be a part of this you don't get to just ride the coattails um you have to actually commit and and do some of these acts yourself and become evil in the process and and we don't know actually what happened. So. You know, maybe Waldreg refuses and gets himself killed. We actually, we don't actually, we don't even hear. I was waiting. I was listening. Like, is there like a scream as we go off off the screen and to black or whatever and transition? But there isn't. So we actually don't know if he was killed. It's just made for us to think that. And and I'm very curious how this all plays out and how Waldreg is this little like servant of almost like a worm tongue.
1: Yeah, uh, very. I was. It was. I was like. Show. It was very much giving me worm tongue vibes
0: um uh, well big big area linden so we do get to go to linden elrond kicks things off we have him playing diplomat between durin and Hiking gilglad they're having dinner on this gorgeous stone table and we have some outstanding dialogue in my opinion some great banter and conversation and this kind of u- talking about this union between elves and dwarves and i absolutely love it um, there's a great line in here, too, that's offered by I don't remember who it is, but I think it's Elrond who says it to Gilgalad at one point. And he says loyalty to one's friend should be expected regardless of his race, because Gilgalad is like, why are you so loyal to the dwarf? And I thought that that was a really nice. Um, mm-hmm. it, it, it's a message line. But it, it actually makes sense in context of the store. Oh, look at you. You've got your elf shirt on today. I like that.
1: It says all are welcome here. In you
0: got it. Colors. I almost I bought that.
1: Yeah, I got it. How, how quick did it,
0: did it ship? I got it in like a quickly? week. Okay. Yeah. I meant to order one when I saw them posting pictures of the cast was wearing it. Yeah. I need to get one. Um, but yeah, I, I thought that this whole initial setup was a lot of fun. With Durin being like, you know, this stone is very precious to us, and you guys are just using it to eat on. Like, where did you get this? And kind of almost manipulating it in, a, in a way, but like in getting at Gilgalad to the point where Gilgalad's well, like that's fine. You can take it back to the dwarves, and it gets that nice little payoff at the end where <laughs> they're carrying the table Deez off.
1: Dieses and want wanting a new table. They
0: bump it, and Durin's like, eh you know i made it up it just elrond's face when he realizes that duran <laughs> was like so it's good. so good
1: okay so but i like, really enjoyed also he was giving gilgalad back exactly what gilgalad was giving him so it's like i don't even know i would say he was manipulating it it was just literally like they were both passive aggressively like
0: great way to put like,
1: it like hunting each other like down and it was it was literally a game of like Verbal chicken is who's going to give in first. And I think that Dorian played it so beautifully and so perfectly, where he was literally like, Elrond is the only one of you guys that has ever bothered to learn anything about dwarves or our traditions or anything like that. So the only person here at this table who could dispute what I'm about to say isn't going to just naturally, number one. But number two, he was literally just like, You don't like, you are making so, like, you could tell he's like, You are making so many assumptions about me. About dwarves, about what we're doing, because of your own motives, and yet you've not once tried to actually learn anything about what we do. So, yeah, we're eating on a ceremonial table. How dare you?
0: So good, so good. So good. I love that what you just said. That's exactly right. He's playing on Gilgaled's actual lack of knowledge and assumptions, and. Making him look stupid in the process, and it's just it's it's so so funny. They the big thing that happens here is we learn about Mithril, and this is like this is probably yes. the big takeaway the whole episode,
1: right? Is
0: and this is the big controversy, which we'll we'll kind of talk about here with regards to the fandom at at large. And I put
1: that. In why words. I've literally been like <clears throat> staying away from Twitter.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well. Yeah. So it, it's called the Song of the Roots of Hithaglear and I have no idea if I pronounce that right, but we're going to go with it. And essentially, Gilgalad tells El Arond a story of how Mithril was created. And the whole purpose of this is to essentially establish why the elves need Mithril. So, in Lord of the Rings lore, there is no backstory for Mithril. It just exists. And it only exists in Moria. Like, there's other, like, Indisputed things, but like the only specific known explanation of is it only exists in this one place. It just happens to be there, right? Now we know that they don't have access to all the lore and stuff and they got to make stuff up to make the show intriguing. So I thought this was incredible because they created a backstory for Mithril that makes perfect sense. It gives the elves motivation because <laughs> the elves essentially. I saw this worded in an article, I think it was from Screen Rant, I want to give credit where credit is due, but someone described it as, essentially the elves are like batteries. They are, when they're in, um, you know, the Undying Lands, they're charged up with this light. And when they go to fight Sauron, and as they're in Middle-Earth, they slowly discharge it, In that's what happens in this story, it's about an elf who is discharging their their light, essentially, fighting a Balrog, discharging darkness. Lightning strikes this tree. There's supposedly a Silmaril in it. That's what they're uh, fighting over it. And the combination of the darkness and the light and the lightning hitting the Silmaril creates mithril that, like, shoots into the earth. And it is infused with now the power of the Silmaril and then also the light of the elf and the hardiness and, like, aggressiveness of the Balrog which is kind of getting at the qualities of mithril. And it's just, it is such a, it's myth-making to me, Aaron. And I- I thought it was beautiful. It was incredible.
1: Well, and what I find so interesting is like what you said, you know, like as of, like from the lore, we know that it is in um, Moria, right? but we don't know that it's only in Moria. We just hear about it from Moria. So it's one of those things where like, they're not blatantly, you know, disregarding what's in the lore. They're just saying that if it exists in one place, there's a likelihood that it could exist in someplace else. And with dwarves singing into the rock and it telling them where to go, like, I thought it was a beautiful piece of myth making. Like you said, is like, we don't have a backstory that exists. We don't have, any knowledge that Mithril should be as valuable as it is beyond its qualities. And at this point, we don't know its qualities. We just know that it's like we sure. know of its qualities, but we don't know what they're going to do with it yet. So, like, we've literally created a backstory for why this, this material is so important. And like that scene where Gilgalad is like, oh, yeah, our tree is dying. Like, oh, so sad. Look at nature. Like, He's like, well, we thought, um, you know, like when we sent Galadriel away, that would fix it. And it's like, why would you think that's like if 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 what you're saying is true about Mithril and about like the light, you know, leaving the land and everything like that, why would you think that sending like it didn't mesh with why you thought sending Galadriel away would all of a sudden save your tree would save your race like I I think that what they were trying to go for is that, like, she was keeping the darkness of Morgoth alive by trying to fight, like, trying to find Sauron. And, like, if she left, then the darkness that she was only keeping alive in her mind would go away. But I don't think it was as, like, cleanly written as it could have been in that segment. But what doesn't make sense to me is, like, Gilgalad is, like, cool, so, like, convince the dwarves to, you know, give this up for us. Elrond obviously had zero idea that that was, you know, why he was being sent to go, you know, find his friends. And then Celebrimbor, told you, didn't like him, shady dude, hate his face, was like, P.S., I actually, like, already knew, and I had been, like, chilling and talking with your dad about it, so, like, I just knew, like, I could exploit your friendship with the dwarves. But what I I find so interesting is that when Elrond straight up tells Durin about like, why he was there. He admits, like, he's like, I didn't know that I had another motivation. But, like, he doesn't really go into any details over it. He doesn't, mm-hmm. he doesn't have to, like, explain why he didn't think that he had another motivation or say, like, this is why I thought I was going to. I was tricked. Here's who tricked me. Here's why. Like, I felt like the scene between him and Duran needed one more fleshing out. I didn't like that, like, and this is, I know I've mentioned this in previous episodes, but the only, only problem that I have with the dwarves and the way they're being portrayed, especially with just with Duran, is that I'm not getting any of the stubbornness. I'm not getting any of the hardheadedness. I'm not getting any of the, I, like, I am right, you are wrong, or I'm going to stand my ground in what I believe. Like, I felt like he forgave Elrond really quickly. And I felt like there wasn't really enough of a convert. Like, I felt like he was angrier about Elrond going into the mines and finding Durin than he was about finding out that Elrond has essentially broke his oath? Yeah. He broke his oath. Well, he didn't break his oath. He didn't break his oath because he never confirmed or denied anything that the dwarves were doing. He didn't spill a secret the king already knew it existed true so like he like i actually thought the the whole conversation between him and Gilgalad was actually really impactful because he was like who could i be if i broke this like what kind of leader what kind of friend what kind of elf would i be if like you're asking me to choose between who i am and who you want me to be but you're not accounting for who that would make me if I made that Mm -hmm. choice. And I thought that was a really powerful scene. Um, And then the scene with Kelebrimbor, like that's the only part that to me kind of looked like he broke his oath, but didn't because he had like the mithril in his hand. So it was like, you're showing that you have it like right there. But like the whole conversation between him and Doran, I just felt like as much as I am loving their friendship, because literally it's like my favorite part of the show right now, I just, I want a little bit more friction. I just, I want more... Mm, from from Durin and Elrond, yeah. like you you just yeah. i just i feel like it was something that got forgiven a little too quickly for my taste
0: i get that i do i think i think that's fair it it, it it's a tough line to walk because at this point in the history it's they've got to come together like like i was saying yeah. the elves have to get mithril somehow because they use it to make all of these things that they're getting ready to make the whole point of Celebrimbor and Aragion and all the stuff he's about to make, like they need the Mithril, So they had to get it somehow. I mean, we knew they have it. Now we have the reason. And it like, so I guess he could be stubborn, but it would just delay us a couple episodes maybe because like, they get, I'm not saying happen. he
1: needs to be like, absolutely but, not.
0: You're banished well, from my halls or anything. Yeah, I don't like- know about that. I I think, I think the events that are happening now are also setting up. Yeah some of the history of the dwarves that we understand as to why they're stubborn (laughs) maybe yeah so maybe they weren't always this stubborn like some of these things are like the creation of what makes the race even more stubborn is because they did trust at one point and just got completely you know yeah and we're also seeing
1: them pre pre pre-rings so i mean we do get stuff in, in lord of the rings where they talk about how like after the dwarves got their rings, like they, they hit away in their minds. They like became significantly more secluded and everything yes. like that. So yeah, you're right. Like we could be very easily seeing the precursor. Um, and then I we're going find- to watch
0: this transformation occur.
1: Yeah, I felt, I think one of my favorite moments from this is like when Elrond is confessing his supposed betrayal. Durin's like, oh, like enough with the poetry. Just tell me like what your problem is and like what it means for us, like what it means for dwarves, what it means for elves. He's literally like, stop with all the flowery language. Yep. I was like, just get to the point. And I was like, that's amazing. Thank it's you. It's great. Absolutely. And it ends
0: It ends with one of my favorite whole sequence of the movie or the show, the, the episode, with the lines where Durin is like, Elrond's like the fate of the world is in your hands, and Durin's like, say that again. Say it again. He's <laughs> like the fate of the world, and, it's, and he's like, whose hands? <laughs> and I just, it was such a moment. I was just like, it's so hilarious. I love and then, it. and as Elrond is like catching on to what's happening in the moment, and just the the joy in both of their faces of like,
1: I love it. I want to show just them. Oh, uh,
0: it's yeah. I want a
1: buddy cop comedy of just them.
0: <laughs> They're so good. I. My heart is going to break if something goes poorly between these two. I don't even want to think about it. It's going to have to. Yeah. I'm sure it will. And I'm going to blame
1: Celebrimbor. Right.
0: <laughs> You'll blame him. Yeah. Well, I mean, he Look, is. I
1: blame him for stuff that's <laughs> happening in the world today in real life. So Celebrimbor <laughs> is. All
0: right. <laughs> All right. Problems. Last section. Uh, fits and the Stranger. Not a lot going on here. So uh, good to kind of like wrap this up. But essentially we see Nori teaching the Stranger language. And him questioning whether or not he is bad. And she is like, no, you are good. You are helpful. You have been doing these things that are positive. And one really big part of this one scene is this gorgeous montage, this beautiful journey montage uh, from the Harfoots and a song. And Nori is singing this song. And it's I don't know if it's titled. It's not or? Nori. It's not Nori. Is it not Nori? It's Poppy. Oh, it's poppy okay so poppy is singing the song it's i'm beautiful. glad you clarify that it is beautiful and it's i guess it's called not all who wander are lost or not all who wander but essentially it is that's like the the chorus is playing on those words which are spoken by whom gandalf hello who like it's not obvious enough right i just thought that was a really cool neat little sequence that was unsuspected and just very chill it was
1: beautiful and i loved the map work that you got to see so you got to see because like they're following the trail obviously that they follow every year so i thought it was really interesting and contextually to show people how far they really are traveling and how they come across so many different lands because i know a lot of times um in like Lord of the Rings, people were bringing up how like, you know, Frodo and Sam are traversing all of his different territory. So it's really cool to see the precursor for hobbits that were literally traveling folk before they got like, attached to their Shire life and never wanted to leave. Like they were literally a precursor from people that travel all across Middle Earth every year every year. Um, so I thought that was really cool. Um, I thought that the song was beautiful against where the Harfoots ended up and like, the scene with what's her name that's like kick them out, like take a wheel off of their wagon, leave them behind. And Sarduk was like, "The like, okay, this got really dark, really that's quickly." A much. <laughs> yeah, she's literally like, "Please, um, you're not murdering them, but you're just leaving them to their death. It's it's different, I promise. Like, it it really went from like a she's crazy kind of moment, but then like you get this beautiful moment of the stranger." saving them from these they call them wolves i'm pretty sure they're precursors to you know wargs some ugly and wargs. yeah my goodness they are hideous <laughs> and uh we see this beautiful moment where you know and previously in the episode again i want to call him that but it's not him no, like the stranger. the stranger um is talking about death and like what that means and it's like not alive and and stuff like that and like you have this beautiful moment where he's like trying to help how he can because nori he's telling him you're good you're helpful like you're doing all these st- this stuff for us and he battles these wolves and another shout out to him potentially being like big daddy g is that moment when he like slams his hand down or arm down and like they like it's like a power burst or whatever does that with his staff like mm-hmm. his wizard staff and it's like oh cool if you do the staff you're not gonna break your arm every time but like at that point, then Crazy Lady is literally like, well, what will we do without this person? This person should really stay with us. He's like, now our human bodyguard. Like, it's it, it like a, an easy 360 for her because he's now shown purpose and or use yeah. for more than just Nori <laughs> and her family. And so I thought, I thought that was a really interesting way to flip the script there while then ending with Nori being like, what the heck just happened?
0: Well, she got, Sort of injured-ish. I don't know. She got I mean, magicked. She got magicked, yeah. It's like frost, I guess. It looked like
1: frost magic of some sort. Yeah, and I am- it was Gandalf, what, dang it, was the stranger Um, trying to like heal his arm. Like what's very interesting is every yeah, time he does magic, he it's doing. like he doesn't know what he's doing. He does Like he knows he's supposed to, but he doesn't yeah. know what it's doing. And he's like in a trance about how he performs it. But like aside from a few moments in lord of the rings you don't ever really see gandalf whispering spells so i find this very interesting that if it is him like his magic goes from being something that has to be vocal to something that doesn't in the future like very i'm I'm gonna be interested to see how they play that out but like she in my opinion she stupidly literally sees his arm freezing and decides you know what i'm gonna stick my hand on his arm to wake him up i'm like what like it's very much a kid move because i'm literally like you, you you're literally watching it freeze his arm and you're like you know what sounds great i'm gonna i'm gonna like make sure he's okay but i'm gonna touch exactly where it's freezing and you're like probably not your best choice yeah. but it does bring me into question though of how old she is because like we know frodo's like what 60 in 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 fellowship he's like 60 65 so i'm wondering age-wise where poppy and nori are just collect just like just curious whether or not like that maturity is the same across decades for them. But yeah, like that, I thought that was really interesting to see it, that flipped the switch with the rest of the group, but now Nori's questioning why she brought him along.
0: Absolutely. It's, it's a nice little reason for them to have a m- little bit of conflict after they pretty much, she's been all on board with him in his corner for 100%. Now she's going to have some reason to question it. And I don't suspect it'll be major at this point because she's probably smart enough to understand like he wasn't trying to hurt you this was just an unlucky situation. Yeah. Cause she's like, Let go. like he couldn't, he can't control it. Maybe that'll yeah. help her understand like, Oh, this is a little bit out of control. And yeah. I need to, this take is that scary. Into account. Yeah. yeah. And then the last but not least, and this sort of ties into this is we get the reveal of our three new characters as the internet is calling him the M elf. He, I listen, no matter what it ends up being, I definitely criticize this design choice because you know that that's what it looks like and you know, that's how people are going. You should know that's how people are going to react. So no matter what, like even if there's reasoning behind it or whatever, I feel like sometimes when you're creating things, you have to be aware of things that are not necessarily story decisions. You need to be aware of how the world is going to receive that and how it could negatively impact your intention for storytelling because it's distracting. And I feel like right now, because we don't know anything and he hasn't even really spoken much, like that is distracting. But we get these three elves. All we know, or I think they're elves. I was
1: I like, know, I don't, you don't, we don't know. whether. I don't elves. know
0: if we know. These three characters show up and they are tracking the stranger's arrival. And that's really all I pulled out of that. It seems like an introduction. It seems like it's going to be a big deal. Do you have any thoughts? Because I don't.
1: Yeah, so uh, in the end credits, they give them names, but like, they're really like ethereal names, like the hunter or something like that. So it's nothing like crazy and super revealing. Um, There are a lot of theories out there um, about like who they are, like a lot of people think that they're like part of a Morgoth worshiping cult. um, And they're like there to track this because this person could impact, you know, what Sauron is able to accomplish. And like there, there are a lot of theories out there. I don't have one yet only because I, I, we, like you said, we only got them for like five seconds. We didn't exactly like have an in-depth view of, of what their purpose is aside from the fact that they literally are just staring where the stranger landed. That's all we know. Like they're not, you know, they're not like collecting samples or like, you know, testing the earth or whatever. They don't look happy that he's arrived. So I don't think that they're like people that were waiting for his arrival and then all of a sudden nori was like hey come with our family like i don't think that it was you know it it very it very much gives a prophetic vibe of like it was foretold you know a man would fall from the stars and we're supposed to collect and find him we don't know whether that's for good or evil purposes yet um so i don't know i have i have ideas but i'm i'm interested to see where they're going to take this um i don't know that is going to bring harm to Nori and them. And that makes me concerned um, is whether or not they're like who they're reporting this stuff back to. Um, Cause obviously like if something happens to Poppy, I will absolutely freaking riot. Poppy is like, Poppy's my girl. I love her. Um, but yeah, I, I don't really have like co- any concrete theories. We only got them for like that one scene. So it'll be interesting.
0: Agreed. Yeah. I'm very curious who they are. I don't think that they're Istari because my initial thought had been, oh, maybe it's like a Saruman character, you know, and he's young, but he's the oldest of the five Istari that come. And so it really wouldn't, it wouldn't line up at all with yeah. Gandalf being in an old age form as the stranger if Saruman was showing up as this young character. So they're probably not, but I, I like He them also, beca- I don't
1: think he would have been an all white either.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's obviously like like that, kind of yeah. a, giving that away, too. But it's intriguing to me because I have no idea. And and I like that the show continues to give me every once in a while these little things that are completely out of left field. And I don't know yet. And that makes me excited because I don't want to know every single thing that's going to happen episode to episode. And I like that we can talk about lore a little bit less and less and let the show create its own version and and its own storytelling based off of it so i really i really liked it and i'm i'm excited to see where we're going still so i yeah. uh, enjoyed it for sure
1: still invested
0: yeah well uh, that's it for this episode episode five so three more to go Aaron, where can people find you if they want to chat or look up what you've been doing online
1: yeah, you can find me across most social channels at EssentiallyAaron, E-R-Y-N-N-E. Uh, you can do it at essentially Um, On Twitter, I believe I'm Ehuns. Uh, yep. Chat about life, love, and everything in between.
0: And you can find me on all the socials at Aaron L. White, A-A-R-O-N-E-L-W-H-I-T-E. And all of mine and the show's links are in the show notes of each and every episode. So follow us, subscribe, share with your friends, etc. Thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. We appreciate it. We enjoy this and we hope you're enjoying it too. We will be back next week. See you then.